Today on the Andy Chen Talk Show, we have actor, arts advocate and ex-NMP Janice Koh. Now, I met Janice nine years ago on the set of Fighting Spiders and ever since I viewed her as a mentor, today she's going to share with us her education in arts in Singapore, her acting on stage and also working in the government. We are also going to touch on some more serious topics such as uh, how art is being funded in Singapore, our censorship laws and also do we really have the freedom of speech. Before I begin, I want to say a big thank you to Hone Singapore for sponsoring our location. Enjoy. Okay, let's begin. (laughs) Okay, so I always, I always start with. Don't laugh at me. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah I always start with asking like the guests to like in, uh in, introduce themselves in their own way la, Like how they would like to be introduced. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like who you are. What do you I'm do? I'm Janice Cole. I am an actor. Um. And I'm a. Wait. Mom. Let's clarify something yeah. before we continue. Mm. There's no such thing as an actress, right? Just of course there is. Stop. If you want, if you want to call yourself an actress, actor, actress. But an actor is like there's no sex, right? I mean, actor is an actor. Female actor is an actor. I'm just very used to calling myself an actor. Like someone would call themselves a, a doctor. You know, I Doctress. guess. I, I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's not a very good <laughs> uh, equivalent. So it's okay. So you can also call yourself an actress. Yeah, and okay. sometimes you know, in the press they do, and I don't have an issue. Okay. about it but when I introduce myself I kind of say I'm an actor okay. yeah. yeah I should stop like interrupting it's a, like it's a profession yeah stop interrupting yeah, yeah, because <laughs> but I always that's it. I just, I just that. say I'm an actor <coughs> I'm, I'm very much a, a mom and, uh, and an arts advocate okay nice <laughs> let's start from the very beginning of uh, the, like very when, beginning. the very beginning when you were like how was your family like? How was what was it like growing up? You know, back in the fifties. Gosh, how long is this interview going to take? <laughs> back in the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I am a seventies child, mm-hmm. uh, so I was born in the seventies, and um, you know, in a very regular working class kind of family, and um, uh, we lived in HDB. We, I, you know, we both my parents were working. I was brought up mostly by my grandma. Uh, who spoke Hokkien, you know, my, my, by my grandparents. So you speak um, Hokkien? A little bit. Uh, not too much. Not very well. Only the swear words. <laughs> um, and um, was never really exposed to the arts uh, as, a, as a child, even though I think innately I really enjoyed performing. So I always wanted to be a dancer or, or a musician. But I remember as a kid wanting to to learn the piano, for example, but my parents couldn't afford it. Uh, I was very lucky to be in a school like uh, Singapore Chinese Girls School, SEGS, because there school. is, a, yeah, they they do embrace the arts. So um, from a young age, uh, we were already very exposed to dance and literature and, and, and so on. So in a way, that was my early exposure to to anything that's arts. artistic. Okay. Yeah. So after that's, Secondary school, right? So All the way that, through to secondary school. All the way to secondary school. So, so then you didn't really know what you really wanted to do, right? You just you had an interest in arts, in the arts. Um, I I think from a young age, I've always loved reading. Okay. So I knew that I loved literature and I loved writing. Up until at least I was sixteen, I had no clue how it was going to go. 
so during the those early years up to you know end of secondary school, I knew that I was really struggling with math and science, but I'm a good student. I I, I work very very hard, so I I did well. But there was no vision as to what, what I was going to do. Yeah, yeah. How how it was going to go forward ap- apart from just more studying. That means, you know, getting myself to junior college, getting myself to university. So, you know, I grew up, I guess, at a time where, which is very different from how young people think about their lives now. I think, mm. where you just study lah. You know, we worry about what you're going to do with your education later. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's the same. I feel it's the same. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. I think. The concept of a gap year even exists in some IP schools where you know, oh, I'm going to take a gap year after year six or whatever. It's like, wow, you know, I'm. That, I don't that think that a gap year concept happens in like the sing- a very local context very much. I don't know. Some of the kids that I talk to, international I guess, schools. No, like maybe like IB. You know, maybe kids who go to IB who What's are a little IB? bit so the who do the international baccalaureate. Baccalaureate. Oh, so if they right. go to SOTA or if they go to some of the IP schools, yeah. um, sometimes they took a sem- they sometimes let's say at the end of I don't know year three or year four they so they take eight. a semestral break. Yeah, yeah, like so, 18 year olds, right? Yeah. So the concept of like okay, taking a little break or a little gap in your academic studies in order to yeah. find yourself or in order to discover what it's like to work in an environment <laughs> or even have fun. Yeah. It's kind of a, a new thing. It's it's not. It's not very uh, typical of my time. Completely unheard of during yes. your time. Yes. Actually, during my time also. Yes. I think now it's starting to, especially in the more artsy like different yes. schools. So up until secondary school, mm. I, I I just knew that sciences is not for me. I was going to do an art stream or humanities. That's that's it. Okay, okay. So then, what what were your parents like? What were their career? So my mom was uh, an executive secretary. So she 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 did. She she was working in a in a in a international company, mm-hmm. and my dad worked at um, PSA, which is the Port Authority, mm-hmm. and both of them had no more than a high school, um, a secondary school, O level certificate. Wow, yeah. but they're English speaking. Yes. Yeah. So okay, so what happened after secondary school? So when I got into, I got into a, a good junior college, Victoria Junior College, mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> that's when you decide, you know, you decide on your four subjects that you're going to take for A levels. Mm-hmm. And I, I would try my best to avoid the sciences, sciences, but you know, when you go in, you're always kind of like pressured to do at least one or two of those subjects because they, those subjects tend to. Score well. That means there is just a higher chance of doing well、oh. on the science subjects, math. Because for example, because it's more formula based.、Like、because like it's like there's there's, there's there's only right and wrong. Yeah, Whereas white, most people tend to perceive the humanities as a lot of grey. Yes. So there was some pressure. I was a、uh, I was I was in the humanities class at VJC, and there was some pressure to like do at least math and econs. And of course, when you're in a position where I'm not even not sure what I'm going to do in my life, I better hedge my bets,、yeah. you know, on some kind of.、Mm, Some kind of、uh, a mix of both. So I did, you know, math and econs, and then literature, and then there was this fourth subject where I wasn't sure what my fourth subject was going to be, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm in VJ, and there's this theatre studies subject, theatre studies and drama, which is kind of close to literature, right? Because Shakespeare literature. Okay, but that's、I'll, like a proper subject. It is. It is、oh, an A level、wow. subject. Yeah. It's an A level subject. At that t- at that time, it was probably one of two schools that offered it. Okay. Yeah, and so I I did that,、mm. and that was、uh, I would say. 
totally life-changing. Mm. Okay, so it was actually our education system that gave you that. Yes. That first isn't it ironic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I much was as about to say, <laughs> like, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> no, it's ironic because sometimes, you know, I talk, I talk so much shit about our education system. There are so many yeah. things I don't like about it, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it was also, it gave me the pathway to discover what I loved. But it also, that, that also proves that it's possible to, you know, add stuff like that, to make it more mainstream. Because like you say, it was only two schools that was offering yes. stuff like that, right? Yes. So that means, it, actually, it is helpful and it has helped people. Yes. So after that, uh, you took theatre studies. So after JC, it's uni, right? So what's your uni decision? Um, within the first few months to the first year of taking theatre studies, I knew it was going to be my life. Oh, oh my life's work. so that's when you found your passion. Yeah. Like acting. Performing and theatre. Performing and theatre. Yeah, it became very clear to me that for the first time in my life, I found something that I loved doing so much that it was not work. That when I was given homework, it's not work. That I would stay back in school every day if I have to to do it, and it's not work. And I don't know. Oh. Yeah, I know. I, how many people can say that at the age of seventeen? Mm. Um, to this day, I still think it's a, a real luxury to be in that position because um, I know many people who go through up until end of university still feeling like, okay, what I'm going to do in my degree now? Right. You know. And no, even my 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 brother is like. I mean, he's well-educated, he's smart and everything, but he's like, oh, don't know long, just do long, yeah. one day at a time. Yeah. So, so, so to be 17 and to feel like I already know what I want to do and where I'm going to go was, um, was an amazing feeling. Mm. Uh, it was very liberating, very freeing, because it, it, it becomes very clear in your head. Um, and by the time I was in my second year mm-hmm. and preparing for A-levels, I had already pinpointed the schools I wanted to apply to to study drama in London, in the States, and so on. There was only one thing that was in the way. <coughs> $400,000. <laughs> problems. Or something to that extent uh-huh. if I wanted to study in the States or maybe at least another 200000 if I wanted to study in England. And then how was, how was I going to get there? So actually there was a switch in an attitude, right? Like you were passive all the way till you realised that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then started to plan forward. That's the first time you actually planned yes. forward. Yes, I think that's the first time where, you know, as a young person, you kind of wake up and it clicks and you go, okay, I think I need to be proactive about uh, what I'm going to do next. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, at that point, um, unlike, maybe unlike today, you don't kind of crowdfund for your education. <laughs> There's no crowdfunding portal. It's like asking for compound from your family. No. Like, yeah. um, my parents for sure would not have any, been able to afford uh, an overseas education. That's a lot of money. Eh? Yeah. Um, at that point, um, NUS had not announced that they had a theatre studies program, so there was no program to go to right. uh, at university level in Singapore. There was LaSalle and NAFA, but also at that point, they only offered a diploma program. Mm. Um so it was, you know, heart-wrenching because I applied to all these schools and I got in and I oh. couldn't get the scholarship. I mean, there were one or two scholarships, but it was just like, it was like a pipe dream mm. to, to, to see that I could get to that this place. 
oh. in wherever it may be, Northwestern, you know, university in the States or even like Bristol, the study drama. It was just like, I don't know how I was going to get from Singapore <laughs> to there. Mm. Uh, and there if I didn't no, have the money. And yeah. you don't know anybody who have taken this path then, right? No. And I think that if I, I... I don't know, but perhaps if I had come from a little bit more privileged background... Um, not only would the money have been a bit more available, but also there might have been... I wasn't in touch with people who could advise me yeah. uh, as to what steps to take. I, I felt it was, it was such a new frontier and I felt uh, very intimidated and overwhelmed by the possibility. I'm sure. You know. So, um, so I, 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 I had to give it up. Oh, no. Yeah, so uh, the good thing was, you know... Um, Shortly after, you know, doing my A-levels, um, Anywhere said that they would do a theatre studies programme, which was f- basically pretty academic, but it was still better than not doing theatre at all. Right. Now, be- between, between junior college and NUS, um, my mum was like, OK, maybe you should go to law school. You know, maybe you should try law since you From like talking so much. to law. Huh? OK. Yeah, because... And a lot of actors are actually lawyers yeah. um, today. So like Ivan Heng is a lawyer, Claire Wong is a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, Ong Keng Sen is a lawyer. <laughs> they all, all train as lawyers. So the possibility of like, that's the other option <laughs> <laughs> um, was like, was always there. And I did go for the law interview to law for, school. For like the practical, the practical part of you. Yes, the pragmatic part of me. Okay. Um, also the part of me that is like, Ah, yeah, if I can't do drama school, then I might as well just go to law school. <laughs> you know, it's like, why? I mean, let's just forget forget Acting that path, you know. Um, but at the law interview, um, when they asked me, why, Janice, do you want to study law? I, I so could not answer that question. I had spent the last two years doing theatre studies and being very connected to what I love doing, that when they asked me, why do you want to study law? I could not answer that question. And I had to tell the interviewers, I said, I really want to study theatre. So you told them that? I said, I really want to study theatre. And then they went, well, thank you very much for coming here. I'm like, thank you very much for helping me understand what I really want to do. I guess I had to just purge that. Yeah, Um, sure. That was like just a, a... a point where you reach a tipping point and you realize, no, I just follow my heart. So I, so I went on to do uh, NUS and theater studies in four years of it. I don't regret it. I mean, it was a very good program. And so you're you know, actually quite lucky that. It, so you are the pioneer, like I was, the first batch. Yes. So that that means you're really lucky, you know, in a way that if it was were, like, whoa, yeah, let's right just time, bridge right? her. Let's just send out this bridge to help her. And I think your parents would be happy. Like you're studying like in NUS yeah, and yeah. Then, you know, it's like a middle ground for them as well, right? Okay. So how was NUS like? Do um, they still offer that course? Though? They do. Okay. Yeah. I think it's quite nice to always be a pioneering batch of anything. You know, sure. There's a lot of experimentation going on and the program was, you know, everybody wants a program to succeed. Um, it was very academic though because it's set within a university context, right? So right. it's not like going to drama school and having lessons in like voice and, and, and movement and, and singing and dancing, which is what you see, right? If you think of fame, acting school, <laughs> if you right? think of acting school, it's like, yeah, you're just going <laughs> to come in your like, um, what is it though? Like, yeah, go to school in stockings and like leg warmers. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to sing in the canteen. No, I didn't get any of that. Um, 
But thankfully, I really enjoy learning um, all the theory. And, and I was a very, I mean, all through my four years at NUS, I was adamant on getting some exposure to acting and training. So I would volunteer with a theatre company, at that time Theatre Works, to do stage management, to do backstage work, crew, costumes, wardrobe. Um, I, I got a few small roles, so I acted for four years. I did both. I was hardly at home. So you're in school or you're helping out? I was either in school doing or um, in the theatre. Yeah. I was uh, I was actually I talked to Buntik and he he told me the same thing. It feels like that's the path to go, right? Usually, like you get yourself involved with a like a theatre company, and then um, you, even if you want to be an actor, you might not be doing acting. You might be doing stage work, yeah. or just get involved with, yeah. with uh, the production. I mean, I don't think of, I didn't even think of it as a path. Okay. I just thought of it as I'm so hungry. I really want to do it. I don't care how. But do you knew? Do you uh, knew back then that it was acting, or you just wanted to be involved in theatre? I knew that I wanted to act. Okay. But uh, I'm also, I was, but you know, with no experience under your belt, mm-hmm. how do you expect to get the roles, right? So, um, I mean, you have to audition, or you just have to be heard or seen, or somebody needs to see something that you're doing, or it's how, how you can't just get the role. So. For me, I think I, I was already... I, I'm just excited to be part of a show. So it really doesn't matter. Um, give me anything. I would, I would do it. Okay. So then you... So in school, you're studying purely like theory for theatre. Uh, there were no like history, any other stuff, right? theory. There was... We had one production a year. And we had some voice lessons. But right. I think that's only like maybe 30, 20 to 30% of the, the syllabus. Still sounds quite quite useful yeah, yeah. Yes. so is that still like the syllabus now or they have I, have to, I have to say I don't know oh, okay. yeah I might have changed okay. so after after uni what do you go on to do um, do you study further so, or? so I, I I I did learn a lot during those four years um, when I was at the university and and, um, and working with companies like Theatre Works and also st- working with um, peers to do our own thing. That means we started our own theatre company, we did our own shows at the substation, at the drama centre, we just put it up, find the money and so on. By the time I, about, I was about to graduate, I had some knowledge of what the industry was like. Mm. And there was still some desire to go away. But I, I had also reached an age where I didn't know if I wanted to do drama school anymore because I had already started performing and I was getting jobs. <laughs> so I was getting parts and roles in shows. Yep. So I didn't know whether or not I wanted to continue at the time to learn drama, do another four years of school, drama yep. school, because I had already done four years of university. Um, so I decided that I was going to do a master's, okay. but in... Um, Administration, arts administration, and arts policy. Oh, okay. And the reason that I came to that point, and this was when I was like 21, 22, was because I felt that the art scene was so nascent and so young that it needed people who could make it better and make changes. 
whether or not it's um, regulation or funding. I mean, I was 21 to 22 and thinking about those things, I suppose. Like, what, what, what else am I interested be beyond acting? And I was interested to work at the Esplanade, which at that time had not even been built. But it was gonna go, it was in the works. So. Yeah, it was it was it was it was being conceptualized. It was being you know it was being built, and I was very taken by um, arts policy and the role of the arts in Singapore. Wow. So I decided at twenty one. Yeah, but you must have been a really confident woman then to even think that you could make like a, a big change. No, I remember thinking. Like I remember thinking. Do I have... Um, is there a job here as an actor in Singapore? Because very few people were full-time actors. Very, How many very productions few. do we have then? There was only Mediacorp. There was very few... There was, Theatre? There, no. There were very few production houses. Very few people were full-time. Very few. And the concept of being a full-time actor is not like today. Um, you're either full-time at Mediacorp or you're freelancing, but most people had day jobs. So most people were teaching, acting at night. So this was around like 1990, 1992, around that period. So when I was when I graduated in 95, it was really at a point in our cultural life, I suppose, where it was there was a potential, but it wasn't blossoming at all. It was just like, you know, it was, there, had, there were a lot of obstacles in the industry. And so I was at a point where, okay, I'm one of the first batch, you know. I'm the first batch of theatre studies graduates from the National University of yeah. Singapore. There is no industry for me to go to. There's no real industry. So I have to be creating this industry. That's what I thought. Wow. Okay. So I, I decided to just change paths. And I knew that I could always go back to acting and decided to do a one-year master's degree in administration because I knew that I would come back and I'd be in a position to maybe um, forge some kind of change uh, in whatever way. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how, but if I can't be, if I can't be uh, participating as an actor full-time, then I want to be in a position to create opportunities to make it a, a more vibrant scene in some way. That's, that's how I was thinking. So your mindset was always to grow the scene in Singapore. Yes. But did it ever cross your mind to, so there's no industry in Singapore, let's go to London, let's go to you know, the States <coughs> and, be, and pursue a career over there? Um, honestly... That sounds like a more straightforward yes, mindset, right? Yes, yes, yes. I didn't have the confidence. But isn't it even harder to like create an industry out of nothing than to just pursue a career overseas? Okay, it's both equally hard, la, I have to say. I, I guess I didn't have the confidence because <clears throat> up until 1993, I had never even travelled to London. Mm. You know, I, I didn't know what it was like to live there on my own. I didn't know how I was going to pay rent. I didn't know every single voice that would say this is going to be really really difficult you know at that time for me it was just like it just felt like a really high mountain to climb it doesn't this was pre-internet right it's yes pre-internet yes yeah this was kind of like maybe at the time that it was starting like, <laughs> yeah. it was just was starting, starting. dialogue was just starting right. so do you understand it's I like, understand I understand the, but I think some people <laughs> might not understand the idea of yeah. being uh, connected to a larger yeah. world and understanding right. what that world was like and how to navigate it was very, very, yeah. very. And there's no information. Blur. Yeah. yeah, very, very blur to me, and it was scary. I understand. I understand. Okay, so you took your masters in 
where? So I, I um, so so when I graduated, I applied for a scholarship, and I got a scholarship from the Public Service Commission, which is a government scholarship, mm-hmm. to do my masters at Goldsmiths in London, and I spent a year there, and I came back and I served my bond at the National Arts Council. Right. So you worked at. So you were studying. <coughs> what were you studying in? In the masters, what were the it what was, was the syllabus like? Theatre administration, and um, the syllabus was really interesting in that <laughs> everything that we covered in the masters program, I already covered at the, my degree in program degree. Oh. at NUS. That's how that's how great that's how academically rigorous the NUS program was. <clears throat> whatever, they were was. De- whatever they were teaching me at the masters knew. level, it's like yeah, been there, done that, wrote the thesis, <laughs> and I'm like okay, so this is not terribly interesting to me, but. What was really interesting to me was the the practical side of it. So I was really exposed to um, different companies and the way they ran in in London. So I visited many, many companies. Wow. I talked to a lot of people. I did internships in theatre companies in England. Um, and that was... And I saw so many shows. I'm, it was like every week, three, four shows, all the time. Big shows, small shows, you know. Um, no money, never mind, £10 standing room tickets only. But that was my real education. My real education was being com- on, on the ground, working with and watching other people work in a very mature industry. And that drove me, that motivated me to want to come back and make it happen here. So that was another, in a way, critical point for me because um, it, in a way I didn't realise that I had a certain passion for... Um, policy work and 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 that area of interest you know so you found that yeah yeah interesting <laughs> okay so you so you finished your year and then you came back yeah so what was your the first thing you're gonna do to change the world so the first thing I did to change the world was <laughs> I worked in government <laughs> <laughs> you're right, 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 right. <laughs> so you came back and you uh, you were working at the NAC, right? Yeah. National Art Council for yeah. a year? Two years? It was a five-year bond I did at least for four and a half years. Four and a half years. Four years so what maybe. was your responsibility? Um, when I first moved to... When I first went to NAC, uh, I worked in the strategic planning department. So we, we strategized policies for the arts. Right. And um, uh, two things that stick in my mind during that time... In my first year there, I wrote the concept paper for the Arts House, which is the old Parliament House turned into an arts Art centre. Yeah. At that time, Parliament was just moving to the new complex. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss said to me, oh, you know, what, what should we do with this building? Mm-hmm. Should we turn it into a museum, for example? So, I, so, we, we, so at NAC, we said, OK, we want it to be an arts centre. So my job was to write this paper to convince government to give it to us. Okay. Um, it was amazing because, in a way, as a very young person working in government for the first time, it was my way of dreaming. It was my way of dreaming of what I saw in London and saying, we can have this here. Because at that time, and I think still today, unfortunately, a lot of our theatres mm-hmm. don't produce work they get hired. Really? Yes. So, for example, Victoria Theatre, Drama Centre, 
um, you know, the, whether or not it's the big theatre or the black box, or even the Esplanade Concert Hall or the Esplanade Theatre, yes. almost all the time, they are rented. So theatre companies, dance companies, orchestras, they rent. So they'll book, book in the head, three, yeah. two, three years ahead. So as a venue, you just sit there and you take bookings. Yes. That's your job. Yeah. Now, it's very different from an art centre which co-produces. That means I have a venue, I have a theatre, and I want at company X, Y, and Z here. I'm not just going to take any rentals. Right. I want to form an identity for this venue. So I'm only going to co-produce or produce or co-commission with another company that I feel I want to develop a relationship with. That's what I saw a lot of in London, you see. That's oh. why when you go to London or a place like, uh, you know, um, that has a very, you know, in Europe, when you say, I want to go Sadler's Wells to watch dance. I want to go Royal Court because Royal Court always has new writing. It's because there's an artistic director there that produces. They're not just sitting around taking rentals. There's a very proactive way of making an art scene. Yeah. And I... And this was so many years ago. I mean, when I came back from London, I'm like, that's what I think we should have. So when I was given this opportunity to write a paper for, for what, what should we do with the old Parliament House, I'm like, we're going to turn it into an art centre. And I, I, I met with people who worked in film, who worked in, in, you know, in the, in the theatre at the time, to sort of imagine what this building would be like. And I said, well, let's have a black box to, to produce shows. Let's have, let's have a little film theatre so that we can, we can bring in art films and... and, and local films, let's have a library in there, let's, you know, let's have rehearsal rooms, let's have residencies where we can host arts groups, you know, so that people who need space have a space to rehearse, all those things. My only regret is that I didn't stay long enough in that department to see it being executed. So I wrote the paper and it got approved, um, which was fantastic, but um, I left soon after that. Um, the other thing that I did when I was at the Arts Council was something called the Renaissance City Project, which is basically a big proposal to government to ask for, to ask for money, a lot, a lot of money. Um, <laughs> and as you know, mm-hmm. um, at the time when I joined the Arts Council, we got very, very little money. Mm-hmm. And that was the first major, um, one, of the, one of the first few initiatives where we were asking for millions of dollars, which I think at that time was just unheard of. And I worked in a team of people uh, to conceptualize why we need so much money and what, what, what it would be used for. And we got it. And as a result of that, uh, the money was used to give major companies a, a, a kind of like a longer two or three year lease of life as opposed to, you know, at that time, a lot of funding. I know I'm getting into so much technical detail now. No, but it's okay. A lot of I'm, I'm a lot of a lot of non-profit arts organisations right. were funded on a year-to-year basis. You see, but you and I know, even a business cannot exist in a hand-to-mouth, year-to-year way because how do you plan two or three years in advance yeah. if every year you're wondering how much you're going to get? Do you understand? Yeah. So when we get when we when we manage to get a lot of money, a lot more money um, than 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 we had previously, we could we could extend the a promise to some of these companies to say, okay. Now we'll fund you on a two-year basis or right. a three-year basis. Like the length of the yeah. plan can so we can, be we can, we can um, It gives them so much more flexibility to look forward, to decide how they want to, what they want to do with this money, you see. Um, and that changes the way you work. That changes the way you hire. It changes the way you look at space. Yeah. Um, and therefore changes the way you make art. In a very practical way, yes. So, um, 
I, I, in those short four years that I worked at the Arts Council, I moved from strategic planning and I moved into funding. So after, in a way I always say, after getting the money, <laughs> I was shifted to the department to disburse the money. Right. And I spent the next two, three years there. So as in, as in disperse the funding, as in you would choose like uh, production houses to fund? Not just How that. Not just that. But um, I would, you know, me and my team, we would scheme up what the industry needed. Oh, writers, mm. for example. Writers need support in a way that theatre companies don't need. You know, they, they need different kinds of support. Yes. What do writers need? They need time. They need to be paid while they have time to write. They need to go away. They need publishers to say, come, I'll take your book and you know, help, you, help you edit it, help you market it, right? So how do we scaffold, create funding schemes or grant schemes or programs that scaffold that kind of career development for writers in Singapore? Because we need writers, not just in all languages, but, but in, in the theatre, in literature, in film, in television... So you need to sit there at me, at a little officer in my little desk and dream what I thought a vibrant scene would look like and then work out a way of getting there and what, how to support the artist to get there in all art forms. Visual arts. What do visual artists need? Space. Gallery support. What, what, do, what do orchestras so, need? So doing it alone? No, I had a team, team, but it was a very small team at that time. It was just right. like me and like four others, right. and then maybe our boss. So um, we <laughs> looked after all art forms. <laughs> right now in, in, in the Arts Council, they actually have departments by For art forms. different form. art forms. In the mid-90s, it was just, it's called grants. It's called grants, and there were five of art us looking grants. after all art forms. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was crazy, it was manic, but... Um, I expended so much energy because I felt very much for it. I, I, I mean, I was very passionate about it. Um, even though I... And, and at that time, I was working in the theatre. At the same time? The same while time. you're work, doing yes. it? So I was at work from 8.30 or 9 to 5.30. Yeah. And then I would go to rehearsal from 7 to 12. Every single day, day. for four years. So no dating, nothing lah. No part um, I did. Why? I did. I did. <laughs> I met my husband during that time. Right. Yeah, but he only saw me after 12 in time to just fetch me home <laughs> and, then, and then fetch me to, to work. work. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you've always been a workaholic. Right? I am. I am a workaholic. You're a workaholic. Okay. But it sounds really fulfilling though. That's um, four and a five years. I mean, I was in my 20s and um, doing exactly what I you really loved. I did burn out. I did burn out. Um, by the end of the fourth year... Burnt out. Um, I took a sabbatical. Okay. I asked my boss for a sabbatical. I said, give me six months. Because I was so tired. I was doing, I was doing, I was doing shows and then you know, working at NAC. But you know, it, it can be quite frustrating working in government sometimes. There's a lot of... Red tape. It's not red tape convincing it, it felt like social work I was, just, I was just about to say you know like you were talking about um, like how writers you have to you know give them time and scaffold them so basically but this doesn't work with the way that our country is built you know it, like you work and then you get paid you work and then you get paid and then so it's like you're trying to convince someone to say like okay give this person like a year and maybe he'll write something but pay him for that year right yeah I mean, so how do you convince like a, 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 
a government that doesn't have that kind of mindset to, to even so agree there's to a lot of mindset like change and um, and at, at different levels because you know in, in my department we were also working with agencies like URA to convince them to give us space for artists right because as you know without space yeah how do you make things happen no way. And, and in a place where the cost of making art is rising where labor costs are rising rentals are rising um, how do you continue to make exciting, innovative, experimental art? Um, and without that, how do you get new ideas? And without that, um, how do you keep making sure that you know there is a breakthrough? Because otherwise, you keep repeating stuff that you've done. Yeah. You know, or you keep only doing the commercial successes, which everyone has been there and done that. So, creating a whole shift in thinking about art making is hard work. Don't even talk about outside of Arts Council, <laughs> even within Arts Council, even within the Ministry of, at that time, Ministry of Communication and the Arts. There was so much advocacy to do. Much less outside with other agencies who have other things to deal with and other issues to deal with. Yeah. You know, Arts was really like, to them, icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying to convince people that, no, I mean, it might seem like icing on the cake, but to a, a, a young kid out there who has no exposure and suddenly be able, they, if they are able to read a book written by a Singapore writer or watch a show that they feel they identify with, what, how that changes the, the way they look at the world, it's invaluable, it's priceless. Yes. You know, If you ask Kenny Leck from Books Actually why he opened the bookshop, which today I think is one of the most successful bookshops in Singapore, mm-hmm. It's because he read Spider Boys. Really? Yeah. I think that's what he told me. He said he read a book, a local writer, and he said, I I really love this book, and one day I'm going to create an opportunity, open a bookshop where a young teenage boy can walk in and pick up something like this. And I think that's where all of us who work and continue working in the art scene, I think that's where we come from, you see including you making a platform like this how do we it's just not enough to just be an actor how do we change people's minds how do we change the way people look at the world and look at how important our cultural life is you know that's what I wanted to do at the Arts Council yeah but it's hard work and it's like it's hard to to always sometimes be banging your head against pragmatism bureaucracy um, a lack of faith, a lack of belief in what the arts can do mm-hmm. for the regular person. Yeah. How, so how is this situation, I mean, how's our situation now then? Is it much better or do you think we didn't really make much progress? I think or? that we have, um, I think from in the last so that was in like the mid-90s, when, you know, into the early 2000s when I was working at the Arts Council. And I think that in the last 15 years, we've made significant progress. Mm-hmm. Um, today, funding is a lot more um, available than ever before. Mm. At a time where, across many developed countries, they are cutting down on arts funding, we still have very stable arts funding. Um, in fact, it is... Um, quite generous because we have something called one for one matching, a cultural matching grant that encourages um, organizing uh, corporations to give to the arts and then 
what 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 government does, it will try and match dollar for dollar. Mm -hmm. That's pretty unheard of uh, in in a lot of countries. But we have moved forward and yet moved backwards in different ways. Also. So I think that um, in terms of censorship, we have not moved forward at, at all. all. Uh, in terms of regulation, we are very, very behind. In terms, what of do you mean regulation? Like exactly. So there is a lot of self-censorship going on, um, whether or not it's on media platforms, on our main television platforms. Um, in terms of people who are commissioning and producing art, so you know there is there is a fear of 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 breaking guidelines because we are receiving funding, for example. Mm. So I think that that needs so to change. So it's a yeah. clutch, right? I mean, yeah, the more money you get, the more you are beholden <laughs> to some degree. It's and, true. But that's only because the way it works in Singapore is that there's no arm's length funding. So what I mean by arm's length funding, which happens in Europe, is we'll give you the money because the arts is a public good and, it, and it's a merit good. It needs People need it and I'm going to fund you but I'm not going to interfere with what you say. Does that happen very often? So in, in Singapore, they do interfere in what we say. I mean, yes. they do want to know what you're going to say. Yes. And they will either decide what those advisories will be, whether it's in film or, or in the theatre, whether it's advisory 16 or is it RA R or whatever. R21 and stuff, yeah. Or they choose to pull funding or not give you funding i.e. Sunny Liu's book, yes. if they feel that it is not in line with the establishment view. Yes. So in that sense, I think we continue to go backwards. Okay. But, um, so you're talking about the arms... It's called arms length funding. Arms length, arms funding. length, funding. Arms length funding. So how, how, does that happen very often overseas? Is that a normal, common thing? Or it's also... Mm, no, I mean, thing? I think that artistic freedom is very much... It's a lot more treasured in the first world nations. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, 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 it would be an uproar if, if, um, if, uh, uh, if you know, federal national funding was used to, in a way, propagate only certain ideas and right. not allow other alternative ideas to flourish. So, whereas I think that mindset seems to be a lot more entrenched here that yeah. it's okay that as long as we are funding you you we shouldn't can. be breaking breaching certain guidelines mm. you shouldn't be talking about certain kinds of politics mm -hmm. you shouldn't be talking about some kind of sexual uh, issues or, or race and religion <coughs> so it's very safe yeah, yeah. I mean I, I, I face that on my on my work on like a daily basis like rewrites of drafts and then right. taking out like essence and right. stuff because of um, yeah. funding right so in that way we sh we should work towards moving forward with that. Huh? How do we work towards it? Yeah, how? How? By talking about it more, right? It's something which I feel viewers need to ask for. Yeah. Audiences need to ask for. But it's, it's being asked for in a way that <clears throat> by the market, right? Now yeah. that we have like Netflix is into Singapore and then we have, even without Netflix, there are illegal sources where you can get um, a lot of content which a lot of people are using whether you like it or not whether you are using and they are seeing what kind of content is being produced out there and when we are actually censoring ourselves people are losing interest and it's showing I think yeah. that's one because you're no longer relevant yeah you're no longer relevant I think that's what, that's what worries me more than anything else um, 
yeah. But I mean, I think people need to ask about it. And I think it's, it's healthy that we talk about this issue often so that people are aware. We are getting less and less interest from the audience for our, our stuff. What do you think? Um, I think that... Um When there you is, tired. <laughs> <laughs> when there is censorship at different levels, whether or not it's in the press, online, um, in the arts, eventually it tires out. It can possibly tire out the the art makers, the producers of content, and only those who really have the tenacity to stay on and keep pushing those boundaries will but because it ha- can have a very chilling effect on artists what happens is that then there are there will be less and less work that push the boundaries in a way right so I mean kudos to someone like Sunny who um, I guess his work speaks for it for itself sure and Eventually, he doesn't even need the grant funding. But you see, uh, I think government stand has always been great. If we don't need the funding, go ahead and forge ahead without us. But I think that there is a role for government to play. And that is, you see, for, for many of these artists, they're all emerging. To some degree, they do need some support. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, great, be on your own if you want to say your own thing. I think as a, as a, as a funder, my job should be to support a whole diverse range of things. But in a way, you, know? you are also asking the government to like, fund something that is going against the, 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 you know, what they want to achieve, right? They want to achieve people who are um, a nation that are like-minded, who, who believes in their direction. And that's what they want, right? I mean, that's what they want. So you're asking them, in a way, to give money for people to tell a different story, to say, like, oh, you know, maybe something that's against their point of view. Then isn't it very hard to convince So the, So I guess the reality of the situation is you can argue as an arts patron that you have to sing my tune, right? I'm the pipe piper. Mm. So you sing to my tune. You, you follow me because yes. I'm giving you the money anyway. Yes. So there is, there's, some, there's some truth in that. But I feel like public funding and this is taxpayers' funding mm-hmm. should also go towards quality work and sometimes new ideas. And that those ideas are ideas for, might be for a new generation, might be ideas for the future that goes against the status quo ideas that you are holding desperately onto the establishment ideas that that we have come to be comfortable with. So who's going to fund new ideas if we're always holding on to entrenched views? How are we doing Singapore any service if we continue to only support things that support what is comfortable? Art has to question. Art has to hold a mirror up to things that are that society is going through, including things that might be a bit difficult to talk about or sensitive or ugly. You can't just hold up to the beautiful things. That's why we support the arts. So explore, exploration of ideas? We, it's, of yeah, it's to, it's, it's, we support the arts because we want to support things that entertain us, that, make the, that, 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 that edify us, but also challenge us, that also question us, that also help us evolve. And the best thing is, it's so safe because it's all fictional. Um, so are you, will you say that censorship is unnecessary then? Or? No, I think that 
in all societies, there will be some OB markers for sure. I'm not saying it's completely unnecessary, but I'm just saying, let's loosen it up. It's very tight right now. It's very blunt, you know. It, it's, 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 just it's, just, it's just too controlling. It's just too controlling. There's not enough grey. And yet, at the same time, with the same mouth, you want to tell people to be thinking critically. Out of the box. Out of the box. <laughs> Come on, innovate. How? We're not used to it. So what, how, how, what do you think can be done? Then? I just feel that you can... I would say, you know, I think if you want to have stricter guidelines for free-to-air television, I understand. Why? Because anyone, five-year-old can turn on the TV and you don't want them to be exposed to ideas that are too mature, for example. I understand. Yeah. But, you know, in the arts, yeah. it's, just a, it's a very select audience. Yeah, People have a, to buy a yeah. ticket, you know, to it's go a personal choice. to the to theatre or go to a gallery. You have to read a whole book to get an idea that is potentially dangerous or controversial. I mean, already it's very self-selecting. Yes. Why do you need to be so harsh in terms of regulating this particular medium or these platforms? Because I think that um, it reaches out to a much smaller audience. And, and yet at the same time, it, it, is, uh, it, it is an important platform to get people thinking, to get people talking, debating, dialoguing with each other. Mm. You know, um, mm. And I think that that's a place where you should be as light touch as possible and that you should fund. You should fund because it is the seed, the place where ideas come come into fruition. Are there people with similar mindset as you in the government body, do you think? I think so. I think so. And I think in their own ways, they try and um, make it happen wherever it can happen. Um, I think at the end of the day, it is a, it is a climate that is... Um, that is the view of the government of the day and and in a sense as long as they are the government of the day that won't change very much but there are many people on the ground who who understand the importance of the arts and then try and allow it to bloom flourish wherever wherever it can find sunlight like a plant so I have another question Um, you know like Sunny's work right when I read it (coughs) I was quite shocked I was like, <laughs> like, huh? like you can can you actually write and do something like that? And and I hate to say it, but my at that point I was like, and get away with it. That was my mindset. Like, can you do that? I mean, in my mind, it's like it's dangerous. Even you know, you will get exiled, or you know, in my I don't know whether it, that's it's not relevant. dangerous in itself. It is dangerous in Singapore. <laughs> that means yeah. we are used to thinking. We are already used to thinking of um, Big Brother watching. We are used to the idea that. There are some, but is it real? Markers. I mean, like, is is that real or is that like a is like is that like a monster where we imagine it's under our bed? Or actually, we do have that freedom. Or I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it real? I don't know. Is it real? <laughs> right. Who's watching you now? I don't know. <laughs> Who's watching us I having this conversation? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like, I mean, I think we do have a, a, a long way to go. Um, I'm quite excited though. I mean, when I read, read Sunny's book, I was very excited. I was just telling Jess on the way here, like, um, I was also listening to a podcast that talks about Singapore's history. And then uh, I was also reading Sunny's book. And to me, it was like, like I'm 32 this year. And it's like, I've never had, I, had any material that actually shown me like what it was really like you know it was all from one perspective you know and now, now I, I because of the internet I get to 
watch another person's perspective and another person's perspective and they might and I don't think they're all accurate and I don't think they're all but they're perspectives and when I put them together I feel like I get chills you know I feel like I finally understand a little bit more about like my home like who I am and mm. like what it meant like what had to be done you know and and it made me felt I guess it made me felt challenged, disturbed. Like, I, I wanted to know more. I wanted to understand more. Um, and, and, I, and I wish, like, material like that can can be... I mean, I just feel that... Um, um, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, public funding... And I call it public funding because it's taxpayers' money is pulled from projects like this. Because when you see the public support for the book, then you question, hey, who are you protecting this from? That means as the gatekeeper and the mm. distributor of public monies, if you say, I need to protect a certain the institution, I need to protect the public from this kind of information, who are you protecting it from? Because the people want to read it. Right. If you don't want to support a theatre program or show because it is challenging certain ideas, but the show is sold out, then who is the gatekeeper protecting? And as the institution that's giving out public monies, don't you have a responsibility to the public to subsidize the cost of the book, to subsidize the cost of the theatre ticket? Because it's their money, what? Right. So you kind of talked about how the government's role and the censorship issues. What do you think as like an individual like a person in Singapore, what, what do you think we can do to support the arts or to, to reverse this issue that we are having? You can't really reverse it. It's just who we are and where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel that, um, at the same time, I feel that there's no need to relinquish control mm-hmm. as a, an individual or even as a business or as a business owner. Because right now, I think to some degree, there's a lot of reliance on government to take care of some of these things, right? Whether it's funding, support. And I think that a lot of business owners mm-hmm. who have the capacity should play a, a bigger role in determining what they want to see, how we how they see Singapore as moving in like, forward. As in like corporations supporting yes. the arts? Yeah, like so whether private. it's through sponsorship. So if Sunny doesn't get the grant, hey, what do you need? What do you need, Sunny? Do you need me to come in with something for you to go away and write a new graphic novel? Will there be strings attached, for example? So there's a there's also a flip side to it. But the question is, I think there should be other sources of funding, investment, support from individuals, from donors, from philanthropic organisations who just want to see a rich and diverse uh, cultural scene, an art scene. And if you were involved in... Uh, you know, in a business that is that to you innovation is important and you see your business going on for the next hundred years, you should invest back and give back to society and you can do that through uh, the arts. Because if we believe that the arts nurtures creativity and critical thinking in students, young people, then don't you want to invest in those things that will create a generation and future generations of people who will continue to 
the, the cycle is, is, is very clear to me. If you have people who are innovative and creative and are able to think out of the box, eventually these people might be buying your products or working in your company. You know, um, so it's kind of investing in the future of Singapore in a way. Mm-hmm. And we do that for other causes like healthcare, you know. So what if I'm like a... Like I'm not a business owner, like I'm not rich, for example. Yeah. I'm not financially wealthy. Yeah. What can I do? I mean like if I'm an eighteen year old like boy. You can go on iTunes and buy a song from a local band. You can go and support a gig at at at, at um at the Esplanade Outdoors Theatre where it's free. You can show support in so many different ways. You you know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. you can be vocal about your support. You can you can motivate your friends to go along with you and in that way when we talk about um, supporting a Singapore made product uh, or film just buy a ticket and go watch um, Popeye by Kirsten Tan for example I mean for me I think that's at a very basic level of saying I want to make an investment in um, in the Singapore story and there's no one story there are many many stories Mm -hmm. and many many points of view and I want to show that I, 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 that there's a space for it, you know. Okay, then let's talk about um, you are NMP for four years, five years. Oh uh, no, only two and a half. Oh, was it only two and a half? I thought it was felt a like full forever. Term. <laughs> two and a half felt like forever. So how how did two and how, a half is one term? Two and a half is one term. So five is two terms, right? I didn't know that. So how did you? Um, how do you become the NMP? Was it by choice? I mean, okay, it was by choice for sure, but um, do you stumble into it or was it a plan or, or what was the intention? And um, I think uh, usually around the time where they start to nominate people for NMPs, there's mm-hmm. always like, you know, people... It's NMP for arts, right? So well, nominated. arts, media and sport is one position. Oh. It's not just NMP for the arts, it's arts, media and sport. And um, there is no predetermined um, role for an NMP that comes from the arts. Hmm. Um, so usually around the time where they it's open for nominations, you know, within the arts community, it's very buzzy because everybody's like, okay, so who can we propose and so on. Um, at that time when they were um, looking for the next one, after Audrey Wong had stepped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, quite a number of people approached me and honestly at the back of my mind I know that it is a role that needs to be played I mean there is a a need for this role but there's also a part of me that goes do I have the time and the capabilities to do it well and those doubts were definitely in my head Um, so when they approached me I said okay let me think about it you know and then the next day it was in the papers Janice Cole is going to be I'm like Wait a minute. I, I said I'll think about it, right? Uh, so it's like um, so in a way I was shoved. Right. <laughs> right. I was shoved into it. Wait, but if if it's just like sports, arts, and what was the other media? One? Media. So it can be a person from either of the three yeah. industry. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It doesn't have. Yeah. So, so yeah. sometimes it's someone from sports. Sometimes yeah. sometimes yeah, yeah, someone yeah. from media. Correct. Right, but how do you how do you nominate someone and who chooses the person? So. I mean, in this particular area, you go through what is now MCCY, hmm. Ministry of Culture, Community and Youth. So uh, you would have to propose your names through the ministry and then the ministry will then 
push the names onward to a select committee in parliament. Right, and then the, the parliament will decide. Yes. Right. The committee, select committee, select committee for NMPs decide. will decide. Yeah. Right. Amongst many, many candidates, you know, there's, a, there's an interview and everything, and a short list, and they would select across different areas, lah, from labor to education, you know, business and so on. Right. Yeah. So, um, what what were your duties then? What what do you have to do? I mean, uh, is it I, a paid job? No, it's not, it's you, a, you get an allowance of a thousand six or something like that. Right, it's an allowance. So it's really kind of like a you do it because it's national service. It's I national service. I, I call it national service in many ways because um, for sure you cannot rely on it as your full time job. It doesn't mm. pay you. <laughs> in fact, I was paying my, myself to do it because. I had to turn down work. You see, I'm not like a, sure. I don't work in an office, right? Mm. I don't have any support staff mm-hmm. to help me while I'm in parliament, right? So in a way, I had to reduce my workload. Yeah, cost. I had to reduce my workload in order to do it well. Because out of that allowance, you still need to portion off some num- amount to pay people who help you write, you know, your do your research or or, or or organize meetings, and you know, it was it was like nothing. Um, so the, yeah, that's that's how it how it was. Yeah. So, but what would what what were the duties? I mean, what 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 did you have to face? What were you trying to? Um, the job is what you make of it, but at the very minimum, you um you're expected to represent your community or constituency or the issues that you feel strongly about within within parliament. Mm-hmm. So make speeches um, at at at. Whatever on whatever issues that you feel strongly about, ask questions, parliamentary questions that you feel are not being answered or uh, have have to be answered, um, and at budget debate or whatever lah. So so that is the bare minimum of what you are is expected of you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, um, and that's what I did. Right. So I remember you gave a speech about the white paper, population uh, white population paper. White paper. Yeah. Right. What was that like? I mean, when I read the, I read, I read, I read what you wrote. Um, how was that? I, I mean, I, I when I read it, I was like, I couldn't imagine reading that, you know, in front of all these people who are obviously for um, the policy. And, and 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 in my mind, I'm thinking that okay, so you are an arts NMP, you know, and then you are making a. This is not really in your. Jurisdiction, you know what I mean. So what? How how did you face that kind? How do you how do you, why do you choose to face that kind of pressure? And what do you think is important to say? To say um, I might come from the arts, yeah. but when we are in parliament, we just represent the people. True. You know, um, I I might pick up a lot of arts issues in during my time in parliament, and primarily I did that because no one else was talking about it. There's a whole backlog of stuff that need to be raised, mm-hmm. and my job was to do it, um, but. In the sense, I could talk about anything I wanted, from foreign worker levy to healthcare to transport. Yeah, because we are all, in a way, in many ways, equal. Yes. In that chamber, Um, when I speak on issues that affect Singaporeans, there is. I, I ultimately, I feel like I represent a certain segment of Singaporeans. Maybe I don't represent all Singaporeans, and we can't. We can only speak from a place that resonate with a certain segment and maybe that segment is not represented right now amongst the MPs. Maybe that point of view is not being articulated 
And sometimes I feel it's my job to be to to articulate that view. You know, mm. uh, I also listen. I mean, when I write my speeches, I listen very long and hard to my own conscience. Okay. Uh, what I really feel needs to be said or debated or discussed. Never do I feel that mine is the right view. I don't ever think that mine is the right view. Mine is just a view, and then let's talk about it. It might be in disagreement with the establishment uh, opinion, but it has a place, and it has to be put out there. And let me not be the one who's too scared to do it. But I will try my best to be as elegant about it and gracious about it as possible. That's how I always felt, mm. you know. Yeah, I um, think that came across. It, it it doesn't have to be personal or petty or antagonistic. It's just a different way of looking at the world, a different lens, and and even if we agree to disagree, it can be civil, a civil debate or discussion around it, you know. Mm. So there is the parliamentary chamber, and I always felt that an extension of that is the media. The media carries my views to the wider public. So during my time as an NMP, I, I found it very important to always engage with the media, whether it's you know on TV, CNA, you know interviews on TV or or in the press, magazine articles, long form articles, any any opportunity to put forth uh, where I was coming from, I would take it. Because there's no other way to reach out. I mean, other than social media, you know, which right. yeah, is limited to your own echo chamber, really. It is. It is. Yeah. So, how do you manage your time? <laughs> your mother, and you're a very active actress, you know. And, I mean, are you still uh, doing, like, policy work or, like, you know... At the moment, the no, arts? I just sit on boards. <laughs> so, I, right. I do a lot of, like, fundraising like for arts organisations I, sc- I sit on the school board so I still do and I work with the Arts Council still mm-hmm. on panels so mm-hmm. you know um, once in a while so I still do some of that um, but it was nice to just go back to acting acting you know yeah how I mean how, how do you yeah. how do you so that two and a <laughs> half so years much that two and a half years I got so much white hair um, it was hard it was, it was a real challenge I think yeah. my kids saw very little of me Oh. Very little. They were like seven and nine or something like that. Right. Right. Mm, yeah. They had to be a lot more independent about their schoolwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when I went into parliament, I knew I would only serve one term, so I just made the most use out of it. Right. Every single opportunity I could make a speech, I would try every time. In fact, when I went in every parliamentary sitting, there would be maybe twelve in a year or something like that, right? Or ten in a year. Every parliamentary sitting, you have a maximum of five questions. When I went in, right, I said to myself, I will ask five questions every parliamentary setting. I will prepare for five. I will max out. So when you when you I like, will max so out. when you stand up to like the rest of you like, Allah. No, I mean, yeah, I was like, very long one. No, it's like ask again. How many ask questions can you ask? But a lot. I got a lot of ask questions. I want the ask council. Remember. That's true. Yeah. That's why. That's why. What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, so. So that's good that So you served the, your national service to the maximum. Wow, that's your... In the first six months, I would have meet the people sessions. Oh, oh yeah. yeah okay. Every month, I would meet like dancers. Next month, 
playwrights next month, teachers next month, theatre practitioners next month, people working in music next month, people working in indie bands every single month. Wow. Filmmakers. I, I, I had... Like, listen I, I, to them. I had like. people, um, I had interns who pro bono write minutes because it was a very intense period where... Um, you know, arts and entertainment is such a media, it's like such a vast, it's such a vast universe. Yeah, it is. It's so complicated. Yeah. And everybody has their own um, issues and, and complaints and, and, and I, have, I felt like I had to listen to as much of it as possible and then um, it helps me decide what needs to, where the low-lying fruit are, that means what, can, what issues can be solved quickly. Mm-hmm. What are the long distance issues? That means those I cannot solve straight away, but I need to start the, the conversation rolling. going. Yeah, uh, yeah and it, it, it's uh, it's that kind of like it's very about it's a multitasking kind of thing. So mm-hmm. there was, I I was doing theater and I needed to do theater. In fact, during the time I was in Parliament was when I did. Cliff, I was doing Chinese drama. Eight Channel Eight. Yeah, you were. Yeah. We were doing it together. You know why? I needed to reach a mainstream audience. That's why I did it. You know. That's how I was making my decisions. I'm like, I'm so tired. I got, like, I got to be in Parliament. I write speeches, but I need to do Channel 8 drama. Because you need people to know because, you. Because, yeah, I just wanted to have an opportunity to be seen by people who don't usually see me. And I, and I just didn't want to be like the theatre person. I wanted to just... Sometimes, like I said, uh, it's a, you have to use the media where you can. And, and if it means just being a little bit more recognisable from a, a, a Chinese-speaking mainstream audience, so be it. You know, to be honest, if I could have written half my speeches in Mandarin, I would have. But I just didn't have the time to get it translated and to learn the pinyin and everything I would have. But I really wanted to do that because I feel like, uh, you know, if you want to persuade people, you need to do a lot of work. And that means reaching out in whatever, by, by whatever means possible. You cannot expect people to come to you. You need to go to them. Mm. Yeah. I have, uh, most of my watchers and listeners, I would say, are people in the creative sphere. Yeah. So, like, I mean, to all these people, a lot of them are artists, right? So, what, what would your advice be to them? You know, I mean, depends on what they want. I mean, what, what do you mean? As in, like, um, like say, if I want to be an artist in Singapore, you know, um, do you want to forewarn them of like the challenges ahead, or, or like? Um, the pitfalls that you can fall into, like self-censorship. Do you have anything at all that you want to... No. (laughs) I I just think that... um, I mean, I I feel that uh, creative hunger is, is very important to being a good artist. That means, in a way... I think it's important to always feel like there is something more you want to do, something more you want to say. And that one day if you feel that you don't have that anymore, it's okay to move away and do something else. You know, so ultimately to be an artist, I feel it is because you can't help yourself. You just can't help but continue doing what you do, no matter what the odds are. And one day when you feel it's not worth the effort, then it's okay. Then, then move on to something else. You know, I, I think you need to be quite honest and listen to uh, your conscience and be in tune with 
how you feel about things and that it's okay to also morph and mutate and change rather than label yourself. Like, I'm an artist and therefore I need... No. Why, why label? We are constantly evolving and that, you know... I, I mean, I guess the only advice I have is when you're young, be adventurous and be open and be as uh, embracing of uncertainty as possible because when you are young and you don't have a mortgage and you don't have kids to feed... That's when you can take the most risks. Yeah, you know that, right? I know that. And yeah. so when people ask me, oh, you know, Janice, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking, should I go and do my drama degree? And I'm like, go and do, but I have no money, go and work. Go there and find work. Go and find financial aid. I don't care. Find your way there because you don't know until you try. And then when you fail, you come back. You can always come back. But if you don't try, 30 years down the road, 20 years, 10 years down the road, you'd be like, oh, it gets harder, you know. You get more and more, your roots sink deeper and deeper and deeper and it gets harder to find the courage to, to take those risks. Thank you. Uh, okay, so um, before you go, we, you can ask the audience like a question so they will like reply. It can be any question. It can be a silly question, but it can also be something that maybe you want an opinion from like the masses. Wow. Yeah. I mean, some people ask really stupid things also, like, <laughs> like what? Stuff. Like, for example, Xia Xue asked, like, um, because her first controversy was that, uh, like, a handicapped guy was scolding someone for trying to use a handicapped toilet, you know, uh, and then that got into, like, a big, big thing, like, you know, so she was asking the audience, like, what are your opinion on this? You know, is, that, is it a priority or a privilege, or, you know, do normal people actually, can they use, uh, that toilet so it can be a question like that or it can also be like what do you think is the meaning of life <laughs> you know it can be anything just anything you're curious of and sometimes you get answers that are quite interesting anything you want take your time I guess I want to ask um, viewers out there what they want to watch what what moves them you know um, what excites them content wise um, in on television in the theater on screen and how important is what how important is good strong performances as opposed to just watching celebrities you know I've always kind of been like very taken by I mean very sort of puzzled by what people are looking for um, in terms of oh, content yeah in terms as of in like, like the day to day person like every like the masses yes just a day to day person not necessarily from an artist point of view you yeah. know um, it sometimes it it it, it it puzzles me when, when, when there's casting, when, when we start casting based on popularity and, or even social media following. Uh, following. Is that what producers think people want or is that what really people want? Because when I watch good television, I'm purely watching for quality story, but the, quality the issue here is But that am I different from everybody else? I just read an article, like this is the trend now because we have a lot of emerging platforms but we don't really have that many people watching all these platforms or they don't know about all these platforms, my YouTube included. Yeah. Um, so what these producers think is that by bringing on people that have their own following, because these 
people watch for this person, right? You will bring these people to the platform. Yes. Right. Is that true? Does it translate? No. Because, not, you know, we, I think some people try to do really. it in the theatre where they, yeah. like, they would cast someone yeah, 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 who is, yeah, yeah. like, from a very popular show or whatever or they have, like, a lot of Instagram followers. But the tickets still don't sell, what? So... Yeah. Uh, but, okay, like, yes, I, I think... Uh, I think it's concluded that it it's not really working. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, and even if you get get it for that specific show, but, for example, it's, if your if your channel it's doesn't... Term, right? It's short-term. It, it, it's either not non-existent minimal short term or it just it doesn't translate if your content is not what they for example like I, I interviewed Sasha and my episode did well but the people who really watch her content all the time are not the people who are going to watch my content because it's just it's two different things yeah, so yeah, I, I don't yeah. think it, it really works but for like the film industry it, it is it, it works you know, like you watch it because of an actor, you know, and, and they are the number, even in, in the States and in China, they are the number one asset mm. for any film, the number one paying, you pay the most to the, like, the lead actor and actress, more than anything else. But that's because they might be a good actor? Because of stuff. No, 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 no. Not at all. <laughs> in China, they pay like easily 60% of the whole film's production to the lead actor. Because they are because they popular. are staff, they have staff power, they and they draw stars. people to the to the cinema, which I think is proven because that's the Hollywood system as well. It's not a one-off thing, um, but I don't know whether I don't think that's translating on the internet platforms, lah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The the question is: Do people watch uh, a film for performance or for the artists that they like? Is that the question? Yeah. And how important is social media celebritydom to determining whether or not you're gonna yeah you know to determining whether or not you're gonna watch a show? Okay, so basically, if you see someone that it's popular online in a series, yeah, does it will you want to watch it? Will you come into the theater to watch them? Yeah, someone asked that same question. I mean, not same question, but I can't remember if it was it on the show or we had a conversation with someone that they were actually complaining about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were saying that like. You know, like it brings the quality of the production down, and then you know, and then it doesn't it, it, it translates into a lot of frustration for a lot of actors who have been working on their craft and stuff like that. But it happens all the time, and it will continue happening. It's something that you cannot stop. And that was my analysis also. Like, um, um, <clears throat> like eventually, eventually, the popularity used to be the TV stars, the film stars, right? But eventually, as all these platforms decline, uh, the social media people are the ones who are gonna be popular mm. you know or the mm. ones who gonna mm. have the eyeballs of people mm. but they are not actors mm. so you have to cast the people that are popular but have not been trained in acting into major roles in major productions mm. it's gonna flop what that's gonna, gonna work but I think we are going through that flopping period right but it's trying and eventually it will come to a point whereby I mean actors are slowly becoming influencers and influence I mean it's it's they're combining the into the same thing yeah. sense, lines are blurring yeah. so eventually it will be the actors that have a strong following that will be casted in commercial roles for sure I think that's going to be what's going to happen in maybe five years time yeah. <laughs> is it too depressing or not to end the show no because yeah well you know yeah. it's like when I first went into the industry you just want to be an actor and now you have yeah. to be like so many things no, including, it's, it's, you have to market yourself you have to but you know what Okay, before, like this morning, um, when I woke up and swiping through my Facebook, I watched an interview with Daniel Day-Lewis. 
he I is one of my top most admired actors in the world yeah. and he's amazing at what he does he probably has zero presence on social media he has yeah. in fact no publicity profile whatsoever because he doesn't do any of that yeah. and to me that's what I, I, I aspire towards right but is that even realistic unless you until you get there <laughs> you know what I mean what does it mean because how do you escape because I think that's what we do we do actors do magic yes. we are magicians we have to escape into a role or a character and if you're like constantly on social media and like constantly talking about what you're eating and what you're doing every day how do you escape how do you get people to suspend their disbelief and go yeah she's actually a very poor mother you know with like poverty stricken can only speak Hokkien and she has she's the only breadwinner when like your social media is about your gallivanting across the world and in your 70 bedroom mansion yeah. yeah so for me it's like I always feel like there must be a distance there must be a distance between the audience and the magician actually I, I understand what you're saying but I mean it, it has been uh, there are two there are different actors I think there are two spectrums of actors um you, ca- you cannot escape the commercial game. It's just part of... Getting eyeballs is just like how you're using the media, right? It's as much getting the eyeballs as it is performing. If you are a very good performer, but... I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is very lucky, right? I mean, like a director saw him or, you know, like a production really works. But how many Daniel Day-Lewis are there that are but not But he's known? also phenomenal. Yes, he is. So, so because yes, he is... He is... He, he is Daniel Day Lewis yeah, after all. Yeah. Everyone else is mediocre. Yeah. It's like, okay, la, come on. Instagram follow. <laughs> One in a billion or something. I don't know. Yeah. You know, so also on that spectrum, I, I really like Daniel Day Lewis also. I respect him to the max. But on the other hand, there's also people like The Rock. You know? I mean, he's an actor, right? I mean, so he's not like a. <laughs> You're asking a question. Yeah, I mean, but he's more like a personality yes, than an actor, yeah. if you ask me, yeah. right? But he is a master at catching eyeballs and attention and he's a positive uh, role model and, and, and you, I would argue that what he's doing has a lot of value as well yes, you know? so yes, I yes. think there's a, yes. there's a space for, for both la. yeah but I, I understand a part of me also want to do that like well, just I mean, shut I guess... off the world make a lot of money <laughs> take care <laughs> of my family but like just concentrate on making like really good work I got like that one. Don't that one lah. Where got Mrs. Jie Yeah. Okay. Anything okay. you want that? No. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yay. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Uh, you can also find me at Andy Chen, A-N-D-I-E-C-H-E-N on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.